All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. Week 6 is in the books, and the San Francisco 49ers are still undefeated. We'll talk about their impressive victory over the Rams and react to other action from this past weekend before debating which head coach has his seat burning the hottest right now. The NBA season is ready to tip off next week, and we'll be discussing some of the biggest storylines of the upcoming year. Which Los Angeles team made the bigger additions this summer? Will the James Harden and Russell Westbrook reunion in Houston work? Who is the biggest threat to the Bucks and the Sixers in the East? We'll answer these questions and more before giving our playoffs and NBA Finals predictions. And in honor of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announcing its 2020 nominees, the three of us count down our favorite past inductees to the museum in today's Top 5. Welcome back to He's Done It. Uh, Brian and I, of course, recorded an episode two weeks ago. Ben, this is your first time back in three weeks now. And we're excited to say we'll be talking about uh, two of your bigger sports in the NFL and the NBA this week as we'll go through our season preview with the 2019-20 NBA season ready to tip off next week. But for now, let's focus on the NFL. And Ben, let's focus on your 49ers who are still unbeaten. And they went in to L.A. and they took down the Rams 20-7, to a very impressive victory. And at this point, I don't think there's any doubting that the 49ers are a real football team. They, that's actually a fact. They are a real football team. And um, much to the surprise of the experts, they went and got a very convincing win. It's crazy to look at all like the expert picks. You know how they always have like that graph that shows the like symbol for the team that each expert picked. Like all the Spanish commentators and the English speaking commentators for ESPN basically across the board picked the Rams, except for one English speaking commentator picked uh, picked the Niners and one Spanish speaking commentator picked the Niners. And those guys look like geniuses. Um, But I thought it was a little bit more obvious than that. I'll admit I expected more out of the Rams offense, uh, but really the Niners defense ended this game after the first drive the rams did have a very impressive uh opening drive where they jared goff never even dropped back to pass they ran it with success and they scored a touchdown but for the rest of the game (laughs) they just got absolutely destroyed and it was so much fun to watch um if if you still have doubts about the 49ers offense that's understandable there were some actually pretty bad miscues uh that made this game the scoreline was a lot closer um, than you would have expected uh, based on how well the defense played. But there's no doubting this defense. My favorite stats from this game, 0-9 and nine on third down. That was the Rams, 0-9. and nine. They attempted four fourth downs where they tried to get a first down on, on fourth down or score a touchdown. 0-4 for four on fourth downs. 
absolute domination by this 49ers defense. And not only is it because they have stars, but they also have depth. This D-line rotates a lot. And that is what I think makes the 49ers true contenders. Well, even though Kyle Shanahan's known for his offense, it's it's still not there. There's room to improve. But the defense is here. It's elite. And I think it's what makes the 49ers contenders. I did not realize that we had Richard Sherman on the podcast with already Super Bowl (laughs) aspirations after week six. (laughs) Hey, you said it, not me. But it's time to get some respect. I, I like the Rams are the first team that you can really say like we beat somebody who's good. Even though I got like I, I'm kind of uh, like it's obvious that we're good because we're five and zero. Like that's obviously we're better than past iterations of the Kyle Shanahan 49ers. But like um, OJ Simpson, you know how he always has his sports takes on Twitter. He was talking about how like what we learned from this game is that the Rams suck. He was like, the Rams only scored seven points. They suck. It's like, no, 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 no. The Rams have been, this is their third loss in a row, but compare this loss to their previous losses. They were scoring points and losing in previous games. They weren't scoring points in this game. And the difference is because they were playing against the Niners defense. I'm glad we didn't have this podcast last week because I would have just talked about how, well, the Niners, they haven't beaten a real team yet. Wait till they face the Rams. And then, then I would just look like a, look like an idiot. You know, I, I was one of those experts who was on the Rams this week. They were my lock of the week going up against the undefeated 49ers team. And that's that wasn't necessarily a disrespect to San Francisco. I, I said going into the season that the 49ers should expecting to be a playoff team this year. But... I didn't think there was any way L.A. could lose after losing back-to-back games against the Bucks and the Seahawks. They were coming home. I thought that they for sure would pull out this win over San Francisco and show that they are a team that was in the Super Bowl last season. And they their offense was horrendous. Like Ben said, 0 for 13 on third and fourth down. So to me at this point, the, the 49ers, you can just forget saying, oh, we want to make the playoffs. The Niners at this point are legitimate Super Bowl contenders with that defense. And... If their offense can pick it up a little bit, there's a lot of good teams in the NFC, but I think they could be the best. Yeah, their defense is legit, and the fact that it's their offense that, I don't want to say it's struggling, but their defense is playing better, and Kyle Shanahan is known for his offensive schemes, and Garoppolo really hasn't had to really do that much yet. If they can do even just a little bit more on offense, they're probably... I don't want to go as far as Super Bowl contender. It just it, it feels kind of weird saying that right now. It's early. But yeah, it's, it's early. early, but uh, I do like their chances uh, for making the playoffs, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's early, but when you look around some of the other teams in the league, I, I don't know if anyone else has been able to assert themselves as clearly above them. So I, I, at this point, I'm, I'm pretty in on the 49ers uh, contending and have a a good shot of appearing on championship weekend at the very least if mike mcglinchey and joe staley uh can return at you know their full potential and then play the rest of the season i do really like our chances that's something that we've done dealt with lately has been the injuries to two very important pieces of the offensive line and i think that can be the blame for some of the offensive hiccups um also, some of that is Jimmy being careless with the ball. But later in the season, uh, hopefully when they return, that offense will improve. And we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But right now, I think the 49ers have to feel really good about their position, uh, especially with that defense. 
Yeah, and I, injuries have always been the story for the 49ers in recent years. It's, it was a thing that held them back last year when they were supposed to break out. And as long as they can avoid any major ones for a long period of time, they should be in good shape moving forward. Somewhat on the topic of injuries, we can move on and talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, who on Sunday Night Football were starting their third-string quarterback in Devlin Duck Hodges, arguably their fourth-string quarterback if you consider the fact that they originally took Josh Dobbs over him before trading him to Jacksonville after the first week of the season. And Hodges came out. He was impressive for a a quarterback who was playing in the FCS last season, undrafted. But the Steelers' defense was really the big key to their victory over the Chargers. Uh, And immediately, Devin Bush making his presence felt with uh, a fumble recovery for a touchdown and an interception of Phillip Rivers in the first quarter. By the time the Chargers got things going in the fourth, they were too far behind to really make this a a close competitive game. So despite being 2-4, and you know, I'm not going to say the Steelers have... Super Bowl aspirations, like I say about the 49ers, but it feels like the playoffs are still very much within reach after this victory. It was an impressive showing by the Steelers defense, um, almost as impressive as you totally calling this victory, Corey. I thought you were out of your mind to pick the Steelers over the Chargers. I was like, this is the easiest pick of the week. And then barely into the game, the Steelers are dominating. So I, I really have to give you like full credit for... like having faith in not only your own team but also uh your own football knowledge the chargers were favored i think by seven and a half points if we did spreads in those uh, you know game of the week sunday night monday night football games i still would have taken the chargers i thought there was no way just like what you said ben i thought there was no way the steelers would even compete in this game i thought it would just be uh a, you know, melvin gordon and austin eckler just running all over the steelers defense and just winning by several touchdowns but the Steelers defense is definitely definitely play well in that game for sure I'll admit that I definitely had a little bit of a homerism in that pick but the Chargers have not looked all that great this year they beat the Colts in the first week of the season just because Adam Vinatieri missed like three kicks in that game other than that their only win was over the Dolphins and for the Steelers yeah they got blown out by the Patriots in the first week but then they lost to Seattle by only two points with Mason Rudolph playing the majority of the game, just having to be thrown in there after Ben went down with an injury. And the defense was a big part of that that loss. But then the defense went out and they got Minka Fitzpatrick, and they've been so good in the like recent weeks since then. Like They had five turnovers against the 49ers. Uh, against the Ravens, they were intercepted Lamar Jackson three times. So they've been making plays. They just haven't had the offense. And there's just something about a guy named Duck that got me like sold that he was going to be the key to sparking that Steelers offense. He really didn't move the ball any better than Mason Rudolph did. And Rudolph is certainly deserving to get that starting role back now that he's out of concussion protocol. But I really felt like the Steelers could go out and win that game, which was essentially a home game, which I knew going in that L.A. was not going to be able to draw a crowd, but it was unreal how many Steelers fans were in that stadium on Sunday night. So it just felt like there was a lot going in favor of the Steelers, and despite being 2-4, and four, I'm not giving up on this team just yet. Uh, I think is if they can play like they did on Sunday night, they can find themselves back in the picture in a very winnable AFC North. Yeah, the Browns are definitely giving you guys a chance to stay in it. <laughs> not like... 
Well, well, I thought at the beginning of the year, it's like, oh man, if the after the Steelers go down, here come the Browns. But no way, they've been so disappointing. So yeah, I I, I don't think you're really all uh, you know being that unrealistic. Maybe the Steelers can keep playing like this. We'll see. I mean, if Lamar Jackson like is if, if he's ever going to struggle, I mean, I, I can totally see the Steelers contending for a division spot in that especially with how the Browns have looked as well the Ravens next two are against the Seahawks and the Patriots so it it's very possible that they could find themselves four and four pretty quickly Um, and obviously if they beat one of those teams then we gotta consider Baltimore really good but they've only looked really good against bad teams so the jury is still out on them what about Mason Rudolph? Is I heard he was cleared concussion protocol yes, today. Is yeah, that... he yeah he's out of concussion protocol. Is he they the said starter the expectation. again? Yeah, or are you yeah, sticking Mike with Tomlin the duck? said he's a starter. No, they're they're going so with they're Rudolph. so they're going with Mason Rudolph over the duck collar, the duck champion. Yes, Hodges <laughs> filled champion. in fine. He filled in fine, but he still only threw for 130 yards because all of his passes were the same as like in the Rudolph offense, where he averaging like three air yards. They said that he would be able to throw the ball deep, but every time he went deep, it was either incomplete or intercepted. So I think that Hodges has shown he can maybe come in and be a solid backup, but Rudolph is a guy that they want to be the start of the future, and there's no reason that they can't have him come out week eight against the Dolphins on Monday Night Football if he's healthy. Plus, I don't think... If you're going to build an offense around short dump-off passes, you, you've got the backs to do it. Like honestly, Absolutely. all the way down to Benny Snell. I love this backfield, so I I don't see any reason why they can't optimize their offense to just just be short passes to a guy who knows how to get yak yards after carry or mm-hmm. catch. I don't I don't mind the dump offs. I just hate that they do it, or at least in the Bengals game last week. I hate that they do it for every single play. So I mean, if if they could use Rudolph a little bit more, throwing it deep a little bit more to Juju or whomever then maybe I'd like Rudolph's chances to develop. Well, hopefully against the Dolphins, they can air it out a little more uh, and not be as afraid. And in the case of uh, Rudolph, he doesn't necessarily have to worry about losing his job to Jalen Samuels out of the Wildcat for the next few weeks while he's injured. So hopefully that also gives him a chance to develop and into a typical, uh, prototypical NFL starting quarterback. So... Continuing on the topic of backup quarterbacks, we had a lot that have been playing significant time in this league uh, this season due to injuries. And two that have really impressed are both in the NFC South. And Teddy Bridgewater with the New Orleans Saints, Kyle Allen with the Carolina Panthers, both are 4-0 since filling in for their respective starting quarterbacks. Now, do either of these guys warrant a quarterback controversy when their starters come back healthy? Uh, Bridgewater, definitely not. Like Once Breeze is healthy, uh, I put Breeze back in and, and you, your championship chances are, are really good for the Saints. But for the Panthers, I think there definitely is. Um, now, I will say, though, if Cam Newton is 100% healthy, I think they should just put him back in, but... I think it's a big if, if he's even 100% healthy at all, or yeah, even healthy at all. I mean, last year, he, he really struggled at the end, and you could tell that his shoulder was really bothering him, and uh, they end up shutting him down. And then this year, he couldn't even make it two, past two games, and now Kyle Allen has been, I don't want to say killing it, but he's been a very, very good um, starting quarterback for the Panthers so far, and 
in my opinion, I think a, one good idea they could do, I think the Panthers could maybe trade Cam Newton and get something in return. Maybe trade him to the Bears, who I think need a quarterback, or maybe even maybe even trade him to the Steelers, and 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 maybe Cam Newton could work there. Steelers but don't have the cap space for. Cam that's Newton. true, but <laughs> if they could possibly trade him and just make Kyle Allen the uh, the starting QB, then I think that could work as well. I think going back to your big if, Brian, that really is what it is. Like the the Panthers have been the Carolina Newtons ever since he was the number one pick. But the injuries change who he is. And if you don't have 100% Cam Newton, if you don't have that physical, strong-armed quarterback, then it might be it might be time to look somewhere else. Because when Cam can't play his game, he's not a good quarterback. And if, he, if healthy Cam is the Cam that we saw earlier this year, then I think Kyle Allen deserves to keep his job. He's already not the most accurate quarterback to begin with, even when he's healthy, but... If you add on to the fact that he's not healthy, then it, yeah, it's a disaster when he's out there. So, if he can be healthy, then great. But I don't. It's a really a big if if he's even healthy whatsoever. So sixty five point six percent completion rate, nine hundred one passing yards in four games. That's two hundred twenty five point two average. Those numbers don't necessarily jump out at you. Seven touchdowns, zero interceptions. 106.6 quarterback rating. So zero interceptions. The only other quarterback in the league this season who has zero starting quarterback who has zero interceptions is Russell Wilson. And that 106.6 rating is fifth among NFL quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks who've thrown more than 10 passes this season. So to me, you know, those numbers don't necessarily compete with MVP Cam Newton. But MVP Cam Newton is long gone with all these injuries, and the Panthers absolutely should be riding Kyle Allen as long as he has this hot hand, as long as he's winning them football games. Now, there could be a difference in Allen's play if Newton is healthy, and you know that that plug can be pulled at any moment, but I don't think the Panthers should be in any hurry to get Newton back on the field. And even when Newton's cleared to play, I don't think that they should throw him in there if Kyle Allen is still undefeated, still playing at this high level. It's old school football. Play good defense and run the ball. They've got CMC. I, you don't need Kyle Allen to be MVP Cam. You need a guy who's going to protect the ball and keep your offense on schedule. And I think he's he's shown that he's capable of that. I think if unless you're absolutely certain Cam is back to being Cam, and that's again before it's more healthy than he was earlier this season, then I think Kyle Allen is a an, like an amazing blessing to have. And you, it would be kind of silly to throw that away uh, right now because you're in a very fortunate position that most people didn't expect you to be in if you're the Carolina Panthers. Now, Allen hasn't necessarily played the greatest defenses in the Arizona Cardinals, Houston Texans, Jacksonville Jaguars, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Coming off the bye from their trip to London, he takes on the San Francisco 49ers. So we could definitely be saying something differently if that Niners defense continues to play as well as they have against Mr. Allen. But I think for now, there's reason to say that he should still be thrown out there, regardless of Cam Newton being technically healthy or not. Bridgewater, I also agree with. While he's been fine filling in for the Saints, Drew Brees is a starting quarterback as soon as his thumb is healthy. I, yeah, I agree. No no controversy there. I also tend to lean to the hot hand. I mean, 
years ago, I mean, I've talked about this before on the podcast that when it was for your Niners, Ben, when it was Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick uh, and Alex Smith got injured, Colin Kaepernick came in and did a pretty good job and Harbaugh decided to stick with with Colin and they almost won a Super Bowl because of it. And I remember also with the Bears long, long time ago uh, when Cutler got injured, Josh McCown came in and he, he did a good job, but Tressman decided to go back to Cutler and they weren't really, they didn't get it very far in the playoffs or even in that season. So I would tend to stick with the hot hand just based on history. But um, like what you said, Ben, if, if Cam is 100%, 110% healthy, then put him back in. But outside of that, I'm I'd sticking with Kyle Allen and especially since for the past several games, it's been working. If it's fourth and one and the call is to keep the ball in Cam Newton's hand and let him get across the uh, first down, then he should be your starting quarterback. If the call is to hand it off that situation, you need to keep Kyle Allen. All right, so let's uh, move on to our last NFL topic while we're on this segment, and that's talking about head coaches. So Jay Gruden was fired by the Washington Redskins last week, just five games into the season. We see coaches fired midseason Somewhat frequently. Last year, we had two with Hugh Jackson being let go by the Browns in November or end of October. And then Green Bay Packers let go of their longtime coach, Mike McCarthy, in December. So there's reason to believe that Gruden might not be the only head coach who is let go midseason and certainly might not be the only one who's let go even this month. So who are some of the coaches that you're looking at, particularly one who you think has the hottest seat right now? I've got, for me, there's only one that like sets himself apart from everybody else. And that's Dan Quinn of the Atlanta Falcons. He, <laughs> uh, like the, the problem is he's already blown it against all like the easy teams and the schedule moving forward is pretty tough. So like it, it, you could argue it's like, Oh, we can't really justify, you know, firing him because we lost to like the Seahawks with MVP Russell Wilson, but losing to like the Colts. When you looked at the schedule after Andrew Luck retired, the Falcons have to be looking at that as a W the Titans just benched their starting quarterback. You lost to them too. Like you lost to the Cardinals who are as they're as much in rebuilding mode as you can possibly be. So Dan Quinn's seat is on fire right now. I'm honestly surprised he hasn't been fired yet. So I was uh, I was going to say the same thing, that if if I were to predict who is the next coach that's fired, I would also say Dan Quinn. Ever since the, the Falcons lost that Super Bowl uh, versus the Patriots and that 28-3 comeback, they have not been the same ever since that, ever since that game. And, I mean, Austin Hooper's had a great year for sure, but outside of Austin Hooper... Pretty much anywhere on the Falcons, it's really been a disaster, and it's really a matter of time that Dan Quinn gets fired. Uh, one other coach I will mention that I've already mentioned several times in the past, I think Freddie Kitchens is hes just not... He's, it's clear that the Browns have a flaw with their coaching, and you look at the talent around them, and they have a number one overall pick at their QB spot, and they have Odell and Jarvis Landry as their wide receiver core, and Nick Chubbs had a great year as well. And they have a pretty good defense, but it's just, it's so obvious that the coaching is the problem there. And I really think it's a matter of time that Freddie Kitchens uh, gets fired at some point as well. 
Dan Quinn is the easy answer with the Falcons at one and five. They've been hugely disappointing in the past couple seasons since that Super Bowl appearance. And I thought for sure if the Falcons lost to the Cardinals, Quinn would be gone immediately. Now, their owner, Arthur Blank, has said for a few weeks now that it's probably going to be the bye week if any change happens. And I, I don't know how you can fire Quinn after losing the Cardinals, knowing that they could have easily won the game if Matt Bryant doesn't miss that extra point uh, right at, in the, the fourth quarter there. But Quinn, absolutely, you got to think he's the next one to go. Freddie Kitchens is another name that I, I think Browns fans are certainly growing more and more upset with, and it's clear that he's not really cut out to be a head coach as of now, but I could certainly see the Browns uh, winning some more games as their schedule starts to soften moving forward, and people think less of Kitchens, so I'm not ready to cut him just yet. And then of course, Jason Garrett, he's been on the his seat has been to some degree of hot basically his entire time with the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones just refuses to let go of him. So while I think that he certainly could be fired anytime soon, or at least would be deserving of being it, I don't think that he's going to go just yet. So Quinn is certainly the easy answer there. And I think a couple other coaches that I don't know if they're necessarily canned mid season, but a couple of guys that I didn't think would be let go after this season, but I'm starting to wonder. Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins, Mike Vrabel of the Tennessee Titans. Now, I don't know if it's fair to get rid of Flores with the approach that the Dolphins have taken, but the team just it, it seems like so incompetent to to levels that anyone has ever seen in the National Football League. And with this whole Josh Rosen, Ryan Fitzpatrick fiasco saying Rosen is our quarterback and not even giving him two halves of football before making Fitzpatrick the guy again. I got to wonder if the the Dolphins are going to feel like they need a different guy to take over when they do have their real quarterback next year and they start to you know, somewhat try to compete. And then Vrabel with Tennessee is another situation with Mariota losing his job for Ryan Tannehill. Uh, I got to wonder if the Titans are regretting moving on from Mike Malarkey after his postseason berth because Rabel has not necessarily been an upgrade. Uh, and if anything, I think he's more of a downgrade in terms of the way the team has played. When it comes to Brian Flores, I lean with the side that it's just so unfair that the team is taking the approach of just straight up tanking. So I would definitely wait on Brian Flores, especially with his recent success with the Patriots. Uh, and then with Mike Frabel, I think the, their big issue is Mariota. Like he, he's really really not a good quarterback and I think their defense is pretty good so I would I would lean with with caution with Mike Vrabel as well but I do agree with you about Jason Garrett with all that talent on offense and defense and guy really just doesn't do anything he really just he just claps on the on, on the, on the yeah. sideline that's all he does he doesn't do anything else uh but yeah so I would out of those three uh I would lean with Jason Garrett uh, to be fired maybe it's at some point unless if Jerry Jones really wants to keep riding that train but well, he's sure. he's his contract ends after the year so I'd be surprised if he comes back after the season but in terms of who you're going to replace him with you have I don't think Kellen Moore is ready to be a head coach he's him being the wonder boy offense coordinator is faded in the last few weeks yeah they, then, they beat they beat down the Giants Redskins and Dolphins yeah uh, so yeah I don't, they they haven't looked good against good competition so um, I, I think that could be a reason that Jerry is holding out on Garrett for now, but 
Uh, it's you know it, I think you guys saw the clip of him trying to high five his players and them all just straight up ignoring him as he's they're coming off the field. I have not seen I that. Clip. Yeah, I yeah. want to check that out. Yeah, that that came out from this game against the Jets, and uh, I it looks like the team just doesn't have any respect for him at this point. So uh, I think there's reason to believe that he should be fired, but like I said, I don't know if if Jones is ready to to turn up that that seat hot enough that he's he's out the door i know that we, we should wrap up the hot seat conversation here but one last thing just commenting on uh flores it is drastic tanking like you've never seen before but the redskins are really bad this year so the the dolphins are pulling out all the stops <laughs> they want to be the number one pick and like we saw this past weekend you have to be pretty freaking terrible uh if you're going to do worse than the 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 skins and uh so there's no way that they tried to actually score on that two point conversion play just throwing it to Kenyon drake's feet in the backfield and him dropping it it's getting lit up immediately so they did their their point of trying to say that we're not really tanking but not actually trying to win I love that that was actually a game, Redskins versus Dolphins. Oh, the tank ball. <laughs> instead, of, instead of spreading the suck around the league, just have the biggest <laughs> suck fest in the one game, <laughs> Redskins versus Dolphins. All right, so let's, uh, let's wrap up our NFL talk with that and move on to our NBA 2019-20 season preview. And... You know, let's get started by talking about the two biggest teams of the offseason. They're both in L.A., the Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Clippers. So in June, uh, right before the draft, the Lakers made a blockbuster trade to acquire Anthony Davis from the Pelicans, giving up some of their younger assets and a bounty of picks to get arguably a top five player in the league. And then as free agency started, we waited and waited to see what Kawhi Leonard would do, and then we're hit with a bombshell that not only was Kawhi Leonard going to sign with the Clippers, but they were also trading their own future picks to acquire Paul George from the Oklahoma City Thunder. So with that being said, which LA team made the bigger additions this summer? Oh, I will easily lean with the Clippers in the fact that not... Not only did they get uh, Kawhi Leonard, but they got Paul George. They got two of the best, not just small forwards, but two probably two of the top ten best players in your in the entire league. One coming off a um, a Finals win with the Raptors and Kawhi Leonard, and then Paul George, who I mean Ben could probably talk about this more. Maybe just did not just wanted out of OKC and thought he could have better chance of winning. Um, elsewhere and going back home as well even though it wasn't with the lakers he's going back home and he's playing with uh side another lead player in Kawhi leonard well yeah and, and just as far as what they're acquiring whether whatever the motivations were they're getting an mvp candidate from last season if paul george didn't injure his shoulder we might have been you know crowning a different mvp last year and things might have gone different for the thunder so they that's two gigantic moves so I, i'm with you on that too i say clippers got, made the bigger moves if the lakers got lebron this this year as well maybe we could say the lakers but they they had more of like a two year transition where the clippers did it all in one off season yeah yeah the clippers they got or not like the clippers the the lakers they got one of those superstars this past off season but they also had to trade and get rid of Lonzo Ball, uh, Brandon Ingram, and Josh Hart as well to get Anthony Davis. So I will definitely lean with the Clippers in in terms of which was bigger. So from a, a pure basketball perspective, I agree that the Clippers 
had the bigger moves. They got two great players while the Lakers only added one. But just looking at the bigger picture, I'm kind of leaning towards the Lakers on this one. And that's because when you think of professional basketball in Los Angeles, you don't think of the Clippers. You think of the Lakers. For now. the Lake. Well, hey, the Lakers have not been very good for the past few years. I think it's been seven years now since they made the playoffs. But we're talking about one of the most storied franchises in NBA history. And they have LeBron James, who is one of the greatest players in NBA history. Now, yes, that was a move that came in last year, and it didn't work as planned. LeBron dealt with injury issues, and it was clear that the Lakers didn't build a roster that brought out the best in LeBron James. But this offseason, they went out and they made a huge move to acquire Anthony Davis, who I not only think he's one of the best players in the league today, but I believe he's the best player that LeBron James will have ever played with. All due respect to Dwayne Wade, I don't think Wade was ever a top five player in the entire league like I believe Anthony Davis is when he's healthy. And I think it's so good, Davis himself is so good, that there's an argument to be made that LeBron isn't even the best player on his own team anymore with Anthony Davis coming in there. And then you look beyond Anthony Davis, I think the Lakers made a lot of other great additions, particularly the signing of Danny Green coming in. And DeMarcus Cousins should have been a bigger one, obviously with the injury that didn't pan out as well as they hoped. I don't think Dwight Howard is going to make the same kind of difference at the center position as Cousins could have. But I think just looking at the perspective of talking about the Lakers going out and acquiring a guy like Anthony Davis to bring him with LeBron James, I think that is a, a bigger headline to me. Now, I think the Clippers are going to be a better team. I love the Clippers this year. I think they're going to be amazing on defense. Kawhi Leonard is going to continue to prove that he is uh, at the top of the league in its hierarchy. But I, I think that it's it's a little too easy to just say, oh, the Clippers got two guys, the Lakers got one, so they made the bigger move. So you said that Anthony Davis is the best player LeBron's ever going to play with? No, like, the best I, one he's I, played with to like, this point in his career. That's what I meant. Like, so... That is just such disrespect to, I know, Anderson Vergeau and Zetrunas Elbaskis yeah. <laughs> and, and that amazing Cleveland team in 07. But no, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I get what you're saying that it's just too easy to say the two and one, uh, you know, it's better for the Clippers. But not only did uh, the Lakers get Anthony Davis, but they they actually got to keep Kyle Kuzma as well. Like, he, I who's think that's probably, who's probably, which is massive. I mean, that's. He was probably, I mean, arguably, but in my opinion, I think he was the best young player out of that uh, that trio of him, Ball, and Ingram. Uh, and the fact that they also got Danny Green as well uh, to help their defense and their shooting, I think is going to be big for them as well. Yeah, and also, especially after the way it looked like Anthony Davis was definitely not coming to L.A., uh, it just makes that trade even more blockbuster that it ended up happening because it looked like an embarrassing failure halfway through the year when LeBron was just so clearly trying to sell his teammates in exchange for Anthony Davis and for it to actually happen like I don't know that surprised me so it is I'm happy that it happened but it was a weird way to get there yeah, Rob Belinka definitely redeemed himself with that trade. And now it's just a matter of can these guys stay healthy on the court together and actually bring the Lakers not only back to the playoffs, but back into NBA Finals contention. 
So speaking of NBA Finals contention and questioning uh, making the playoffs, the team that has been to the NBA Finals in the Western Conference the last five years is all of a sudden viewed as an underdog. That's the Golden State Warriors. Now, Kevin Durant tore his Achilles. Uh, Clay Thompson tore his ACL. Durant's left for Brooklyn. Thompson's still in Golden State. They have a lot of other teams to compete with in the Western Conference, but they still have Steph Curry. They still have Draymond Green, and they acquired D'Angelo Russell. So can we really write off this Warriors team as uh, not just playoff contenders, but also as championship contenders? Absolutely not. I think the Warriors are still in the mix. I mean, do I think the Clippers and Lakers and possibly maybe other teams in the West have better chances than the Warriors? Yes, but just because they lose Durant, I mean, that doesn't mean that their season's over. Uh, they're just not the same juggernaut as they they have been for the past few seasons. Now, it might hurt them in the regular season, especially when you add on to the fact that Klay Thompson is going to be out for quite some time, but they still have the former MVP, two-time MVP and Steph Curry, who is probably a favorite for this year in the for the MVP running with Giannis uh, and Draymond Green as well uh, is obviously a great part of their team and I think Kevin Looney I'm not saying he's any stud but he's certainly someone who took a step last season and I think can take another step this year and they added on D'Angelo Russell and Willie Colley Stein uh, which should obviously help a lot there's no way I don't think you should write them off I but do their chances are their chances worse than the Clippers and Lakers I would say yes but they should still be in the mix for a three or four seed yeah I, I I'm definitely not writing them off I think the what's jarring is it's just not a foregone conclusion anymore last few years you could pre, you could just predict that the Warriors were going to at least be in the finals before the season even starts and then we had this 82 game long formality that led us to the inevitable playoff run that they would go on for the first time in a long time we actually have to think about it and i think that that is what is so crazy uh that the people are like whoa can we ever doubt the warriors again yes yes you can duran is no longer a warrior and without clay thompson like that's a huge injury so, yes, the, the Warriors can be mortal, but they still have amazing talent with experience in, like, being amazing. So uh, as much as it would be nice to be able to just say that they're, they're totally out of the picture, I think that would be refreshing. They've still got a generational player in Steph Curry. They've still got a great defender uh, in green. And honestly i think it's gonna be a test to see how good of a coach steve kerr really is uh with what he can do with less talent but i i think it'd be ridiculous to completely write them off they're definitely a playoff contender uh if not well uh, they can be hopeful there's a lot more parody in the west now i'm definitely looking forward to the nba season this year i mean as a celtics fan i might not be looking forward to it as much in terms of them being successful but in terms of the nba being a little bit more unpredictable and not just the uh, a lock for the warriors to win it all every year uh i'm definitely gonna enjoy that this season since you can make a case for a lot of teams this year. yeah it's actually it's kind of a relief that the thunder you know basically removed themselves from title contention by accepting the paul george trade 
but it allows me to be a little bit more of just a spectator and be like, look how awesome the NBA is this year because there's so much unpredictability. I know that's a depressing thing to say, but it's the reality of the situation. <laughs> and um, so I'm I'm super excited. I mean, LA, uh, the LA rivalry itself, I think, is something that everyone can enjoy. Uh, but just to have so many contenders across the league is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, going back to the Warriors, which I haven't really been able to give my say on them to this point, but uh, I've been a Steph Curry stan for a very long time. Uh, as a fellow three-point shooter, he's someone that I've always admired, and I've never had a trouble rooting for the Warriors. Uh, while I know a lot of people were very much anti-Golden State after Kevin Durant made his decision to go there, Uh, That didn't necessarily stop me from rooting for them when they faced teams that I didn't like because of personal rivalries with the Celtics. That being said, I don't love the team that they have surrounding him, at least for this season. I think when Klay Thompson comes back healthy, they have a chance to relive some of the magic of those Warriors teams in the pre-Durant era, uh, teaming up with Draymond Green. But I don't know if Thompson is going to be able to play this year. We won't know, at least until the All-Star break, what his uh, condition is going to be. And then D'Angelo Russell and Steph Curry, in terms of being able to share the ball with each other, it's not going to be as seamless as it has been with Thompson. I think some of the other pieces, like you mentioned Willie Cauley-Stein, Gavon Looney was certainly great last year. They have Alec Burks was brought in. I, I just... I don't know if this is a kind of team that I can consider a championship contender right now. Uh, you know, barring Clay Thompson coming back, being 100% healthy and healthy enough to play enough games to get Golden State in a good postseason position. But because of how many good teams there are, how many great teams there are in the West, I think it's going to be very difficult for Golden State to be able to keep up with them unless the chemistry is just off the charts between Curry and Russell. It's going to be interesting to see how he fits into that scheme. I mean, is the theory still that he's just a stopgap? Like waiting for uh, Thompson to return? Russell? Yeah. I mean, they signed him to do a four-year deal, so I think the expectation is that the three of them are going to coexist together with uh, you know, Thompson kind of playing on the small forward position and Russell and Curry somehow sharing the ball together at, at the point guard position. But... I I don't really know. I don't. I just. I, I feel like they added a talented player, but I don't know how that all that meshing is going to happen, and that's why I'm kind of doubting them a little bit. I'm not totally sold on them. I still think they're a playoff team, but I just don't know if I believe in them as a championship contender right now. So, I guess let's move on to a team that has been eliminated by the Warriors in the playoffs uh, the past few seasons. That's the Houston Rockets. So. Last year, there were some talks of uh, some divisiveness between James Harden and point guard Chris Paul, and there were a lot of questions about could the Rockets ever get over the hump and be a true championship team? Well, they're trying their best by swapping Paul, sending him and a bunch of draft picks to Oakland for er, to Oklahoma City for Russell Westbrook. Reuniting two guys who played together on the Thunder earlier this decade. And now there's a question of just bringing them together. Is that the missing piece to Houston's championship potential? I just think it's going to be the same exact thing all over again, but with just a 
louder, more, uh, more outspoken point guard in Russell Westbrook. And just the fact that they have two guys now who need the ball uh, on offense to succeed or to reach their potential. I, I don't, I just don't see, I, I see that they can make the playoffs uh, and maybe contend uh, for a round or two, but in terms of winning a championship, no, I don't think that just, I mean, I like their chances more with Westbrook than Chris Paul, but I don't like their uh, finals chances, especially since their defense is basically just play better, more play better on offense. I mean, cause that's really what their system is with Mike D'Antoni. So I don't know how it works. So I'm, I'm out on the Rockets. Yeah. My mind is telling me this reunion won't work, but my heart is telling me that it would be really awesome if it did like <laughs> as a, as a Thunder fan, obviously I wasn't a Thunder fan back when James Harden was on the Thunder, but I've done my research. I've read books about it. There are books about it. And uh, I read a book where they talked about this. <laughs> and and I, I would love to see these two guys play really well together. Unfortunately, they're both very ball dominant. And, I, and honestly, I don't think that they're going to take away that much from James Harden because James Harden gets results with his ball dominance. Russell Westbrook gets flashy stats, but in a inefficient way the only hope is that russell westbrook got it out of his system in oklahoma where it was his team he could do what he wanted and he could be as inefficient as he wanted nobody was going to cry about it because what else what's their other options right but now if he can take if he can play that partnership role which we haven't seen from him maybe it's like a total uh you know it, it's a total uh i'm looking for the word here uh, it's hypothetical my goodness it's a total hypothetical that russell westbrook could just suddenly become this great teammate if he could he has the talent to help this team go forward but i just I, we haven't seen it so i think uh I, i'm i'm also not very hopeful about this reunion i can just totally see them in the middle of the season uh harden and westbrook arguing about a play and then on espn they'll show Oh, was is James Harden the problem here instead of Chris Paul, or is it the coach, or is it Westbrook? And I, I just don't see with how with their skill sets on offense being ball dominant and and their personalities. I I just don't see how it works. I think there's going to be drama. I think that there will be times where they'll struggle together, but I also think there's gonna be a lot of times where they're gonna be winning together, and it's going to be all sunshine and roses down in Houston because James Harden and Russell Westbrook, it seems like they want to play together. They want to make this work. This wasn't a case of Daryl Morey going out and getting a superstar player and just hoping for the best that he fits in with James Harden like that he hoped for with Chris Paul. So I think for that reason, I am a little more optimistic about the Rockets' chances. I think that the Western Conference is, has a lot of really good teams in it, but they don't have a team like the Golden State Warriors the past couple of years that the Rockets kept running into and couldn't get over. So to me, I do think that the the Houston Rockets with James Harden and Russell Westbrook have a pretty decent shot of being a legitimate championship team. But there's certainly a plenty of possibility that this just totally blows up and that these two ball-dominant players can't play together because there is just one basketball. I'll be rooting for them, but, you know. Tempering expectations. Uh, let's let's move on. And earlier we were talking about Anthony Davis going from the Pelicans to the Lakers. We said that the Lakers sent some guys back to New Orleans. And New Orleans 
made their own big splash of the offseason, and that happened when they won the draft lottery to land the number one pick and the rights to draft Zion Williamson. And the expectations, of course, are through the roof for this New Orleans Pelicans team as Zion mania sweeps through Bourbon Street. So... Is that what they're is, calling it? Is Zion, Zion mania? <laughs> I, I don't know if it's Zion mania. <laughs> um, but is, is Zion coming to the Pelicans? Is he going to lead this team back to the postseason? I will say yes. I think that I don't think the Pelicans will be like a one or two seed or anything like that, but a seven or eight seed, I can totally see it happening. And it's not just because they added Zion as the number one overall pick in the past NBA draft, but uh, they're also adding Zion to a group with uh, Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, and Derek Favors. And then, like I said earlier, they uh, after trading Davis, they still got a pretty good, decent return in, uh, in Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Josh Hart. So I think with that much depth on their team, I think they're good enough to make the playoffs. Now, I don't see them going any further than past the first round or anything like that, but uh, I think with that depth, they're good enough to become a playoff team. How many seasons did it take LeBron to take the Cavs to the playoffs after he got drafted? Third season. Third season? Yeah. Well, I don't know how how it compares, but I mean, Zion at least went to college for a year, so maybe he's gained some experience in what little he played, I guess. But it, uh, I think that he could take a... Uh, he's coming into a better situation than like a LeBron did, and he's that caliber of a player, at least that's what we're expecting. So yeah, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that in a wide-open Eastern Conference that a generational player like They're that the could... They're in the West? Oh my god! Yeah, Pelicans are in the West. <laughs> yeah, on the on the map yeah. they're in the East, but <laughs> wow. Okay, well, yeah, I mean they're the, in the Western Conference. The Western Conference is definitely challenging. If they if they were in the Eastern Conference, I'll pencil them in as like in the conference finals. Oh my or something god! Like that, no, I've but, got them. But, I've got them in my top eight Eastern Conference. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Okay. I guess if they're in the East, absolutely. I think they they're definitely a would team. if they're in the East. But the West, it's going to be harder. But I absolutely think this Pelicans team can make the playoffs because, like you said, Brian, it's not just Zion Williamson. They have some solid young players that they acquired from the Lakers. They have some great veterans. So, of course, keeping Drew Holiday, and then they traded for Derek Favors from the Jazz. They signed J.J. Redick, who is a great three-point shooter, someone that this team really needs to succeed. Uh, and in Zion draft class, they also got Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Walk- Alexander-Walker, who have looked pretty solid for the Pelicans in the preseason and looking like they can contribute as well as rookies. So I do think that this Pelicans team has the kind of roster in place that they can succeed early on. And with David Griffin as GM, he's not going to be afraid to go out and make a bold move if that's what it takes to get this team in good position to succeed now and in the future. They have a lot of young assets there, not necessarily saying they're going to flip some of them into a, a superstar player, but there's plenty of reason to believe that New Orleans, if they start off strong, can continue to play well throughout the season and make it to the playoffs. Now, I agree that they're probably... Their best bet is getting in as like one of those final playoff spots, like a six, seven, eight seed. But I certainly think it's possible for them to get in. And Zion Williamson has been unreal in the preseason. There were questions of how he'd make the transition from high school to college, and 
right away proved any doubters wrong. He's doing the same thing with going from the college to the NBA. So I do think that Zion, with the team around him, is good enough to take New Orleans back to the playoffs. So I guess let's wrap up the Western Conference by focusing on, like Ben said, that that Northwest division. Because while the the divisions aren't necessarily a thing in the NBA anymore with conferences just stacked up from 1 through 15, there's a lot of teams in that part of the country that feel like they can compete with some of those uh, California teams, uh, the Houston Rockets, uh, the, the Pelicans, and... The question is, which one of them do you guys feel like has the best chance of uh, coming through as a sleeper and winning this conference? So I think there are three obvious teams that can at uh, the Northwest Division. Yeah. So I guess uh, we're we're focusing on the Denver Nuggets, yeah, the, the Jazz, Utah Jazz, and the, and the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. So there are three obvious teams, and like you just said, there. Um, so it's kind of a coin flip, sort of, but well, between three teams, but. If I had to pick, I would, I, I know Corey, we talked about this earlier. Um, I was leaning towards the Nuggets at that time, but if I had to pick now, I I would lean with the Utah Jazz. Uh, I think they're a very well-coached team in, in Quinn Snyder. Uh, I think that they're a very good defensive team. They have one of the best rebounders in the league in Rudy Gobert. But not only that, but they also added Mike Conley, who is a great floor general for their team. And I think Donovan Mitchell can also take another step forward in his career. And with all that, I think if I had to pick between those three, I would lead with the jazz. I, it's hard to distinguish between these three teams because they're all, they're all really good. Um, And they're part of the reason why the West is so interesting. But for me, I I think I'm going to go with Portland. Um, They really, I'm done doubting them, I guess. (laughs) Because every time I doubt them, it really comes back to bite me. Um, and I think for me, the key is just the return of Nurkic. Um, they were already so good after he was injured. So adding him uh, back into that lineup, and if, if Dame and McCollum can keep what they had going last year rolling, I think they have a chance. I think, <laughs> honestly, it, it's so tight between these guys. I'm not sure if that's convincing enough, but I, uh, I like Portland. I think they've got, they've got grit. Yeah, I'll admit, like, even though I just list off all those points, like I don't feel great about that pick because I think all three of them, you can make a legit, they're all legit. I, like they can, all three of them have a good chance of making the West Finals or maybe even the finals, if that. Yeah, I mean, when I look at these three teams, uh, Denver and Utah are the two that stand out the most to me. And I feel like I'm sleeping on the Trailblazers because they made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. So they've shown that they can succeed in a, Tough Western Conference that had the Warriors a lot more dominant last year. But Denver was a two-seed. And while Portland beat them in the the playoffs in the, the second round, the Nuggets had the better regular season. And I expect the Nuggets to once again have a great regular season because Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are two very good players. They have a lot of great um, talent around those guys that I think that the Nuggets could be one of those regular season teams that win 60 games almost unexpectedly just because of what they have in place. But the Jazz of the team, when they started making their moves, trading for Mike Conley, bringing in Bojan Bogdanovich, they added Ed Davis and Jeff Green. They already have two great players in Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. Gobert, two-time 
uh, reigning defensive player of the year. I think Mitchell is really going to take a step forward. I said the Jazz were a Western Conference Finals team in July, and I still believe that as the season starts, that uh, the Jazz can certainly surprise some people who are all over L.A. or Houston uh, and and make it far into the playoffs as they, they really improve that team that was already really good from the past couple seasons. So... I guess uh, we'll we'll conclude the Western Conference with that, and let's talk about the East. East underwent some shakeup this offseason with uh, some superstar players bouncing around, whether it's the different teams in the East or even jumping ship to the West, like in the case of Kawhi Leonard. And it feels like the East really has two teams that everyone is talking about, everyone's looking at in the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers. So assuming that those are the top two teams, who's the biggest threat to stopping them in this Eastern Conference? So this is probably a homer pick, but after those two, I would lean with the the Celtics. Uh, I think that losing Kyrie is going to hurt, but bringing on Kemba, I don't think it's going to be that big of an issue. Um, I mean, yes, Kyrie's better than Kemba, but it's not that big of a drop-off. And... I would have had them probably coming out of the East if it wasn't for Horford leaving, but the fact that, not that I love Al Horford by any means, or think he's like the greatest or big man in the league or anything, but I think he was arguably one of, if not their most important player, because he does, he does so much, he did so much for that team, but I still like their chances of becoming a three seed and Maybe Gordon Hayward can take another step forward after his horrible injury a couple of years ago. I mean, last year we thought Celtics fans, including myself, thought it was going to be last year, but it was pretty obvious that he uh, was not up to speed yet last season. But I think this year he'll take a big jump. And then I think we'll see Tatum and Brown do that as well. And I think I, th- I like their chances to make the playoffs and be one of the top teams after the Bucks and the Sixers, but out after that, it's uh, it's going to be tough once they once it becomes the second round and they're facing Philly or Milwaukee. I think it's going to be tough getting past them. Yeah, honestly, well, hold on. While we're on the Celtics, what do you think of Taco Fall? I was watching some highlights of him on Instagram, and it's just amazing. Uh, uh, he's I love pre- Taco Fall. Preseason MVP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that the Celtics are doing everything they can to keep him around. What what's was he? Why wouldn't he be around? They signed him to a well because they signed him to a two way contract. They could have easily lost him to another team if they they like released him. So I like is he good at basketball? <laughs> I mean, why is he? Yeah, I mean, is he just huge? And they're like, like hey, he's here's like a seven, jersey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, being seven seven kind of helps. He was in so, yeah, March he's, Madness, he was he? solid at UCF. Yeah, yeah, he played in Columbia in March what Madness, dude. Before I lived here, yeah, almost beat Duke. Yeah, right. Um. Yeah, no, I, I like Taco Fall. I want him to succeed. The, the Celtics are probably going to be one of the worst uh, rebounding teams in the league, so they they could use them and then just go five on four Absolutely. on the other side and just have them <laughs> sit there and <laughs> yeah. do nothing else. Um, so, I mean, I guess another team that I think is still high quality despite losing Kawhi Leonard is the Raptors. Um, and Pascal, I think... Based on what I've read, it sounds like the key is if Pascal Siakam can move into more of a central role for them and take on more responsibility. Uh, there's a lot of veteran presence on that team. The emergence of Fred Van Vliet is uh, you know, no small factor. Um, and just the fact that 
they've been there, done that now. You know, they're, uh, they have that championship under their belt. And I don't know, there's also a lot of bad teams in the East. So <laughs> they've shown that they're good, even though a lot of it was Kawhi Leonard. Um, so I think they can at least be near the top. For me, I know I went with the homer pick, but if I were to go with another team, I think the Indiana Pacers are still a, a good team with with Oladipo, Victor Oladipo. I mean, last year he was out for the season with a bet with an injury, but now that he comes back and they bring on Malcolm Brogdon and T.J. Warren, and then you get another year of Miles Turner being a dominant center in the league, I think they can also be a, one of the better teams after the uh, Bucks and the Sixers. So is he well. healthy? Is he all the way back, Oladipo? I don't know if he's ready to start the season, but he definitely he will be playing. He should come back like, he, earlier than guys like Thompson or Nurkic. But. Yeah, because he tore his ACL in January. So yeah, he should be fine to come back sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. I guess speaking of guys coming back, is there any chance that Kevin Durant plays this year? I've heard that it's most likely he will not. Yeah, I've because. Seen- if Durant comes back, then I would absolutely say the Nets. Oh, yeah, yeah. With Kyrie Irving added to that team, uh, I think that they have a really good chance in 2021. But if Durant's not coming back, I think the the biggest threat to the Bucks and the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals is the Sixers themselves. Because this is Sixers team. They were terrible. Of course, they were tanking for a long time. And then they finally got good last season. They ran into the Celtics, and they showed that they couldn't compete with them. And then last year, they ran into the Raptors, and they showed that they couldn't compete with them. They don't necessarily have an excuse. At this point, they are definitely the number two team. They're not the number three team. But the Indiana Pacers, like we said, they have Oladipo coming back. They brought in some talent in Malcolm Brogdon and TJ Warren. The Pacers aren't better than the Sixers. The Celtics downgraded. Uh, at least talent-wise from Kyrie Irving and Kemba Walker, chemistry-wise, maybe everything comes together. But the Celtics, to me, I think that giving Al, not giving Al Horford, but Al Horford going from Boston to Philly makes the Sixers finally better than the Celtics. And like I said, the Nets with just Kyrie Irving, I don't think that they're any better than uh, the Celtics were last year with Kyrie Irving. And we saw how Kyrie handled himself in the postseason. The Toronto Raptors, they competed with the Sixers last year, seven-game series, and they don't have Kawhi Leonard to bail them out in the end this year. So to me, if anything's going to stop the Sixers, it's the Sixers themselves. They're going to run into a team that they just – something's going to go wrong for them. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to say it's Ben Simmons specifically. I'm not going to say it's Joel Embiid staying healthy or not being able to stay healthy, but I just think that everything is there for a Milwaukee versus Philadelphia final. And if anyone is going to stop the 76ers, it's really going to be them hurting themselves more than them not being one of the top two teams in this conference. I mean, you know my opinion on Philly, where I've just been mostly down on them going any further than the, you know, the second round of the the Eastern Conference in the past past couple of seasons. But the fact that they took they got Horford from Boston and added on added him onto their team, I can't say that the Celtics are better now. Like I. I would lean Philly, but maybe maybe Boston has their number, and if if they meet in the second round, maybe the Celtics could could upset them. I think you guys are kind of overlooking the fact that uh, Benny Downtown is going to be hitting those, going to be draining threes from way behind the arc all season long, and I think this really puts the Sixers in a position to win the whole conference. 
He finally hit one in a preseason game. So and, and then his teammates celebrated with him like he was a like Yeah, running on the running onto the court. It was the end of the quarter. But like do you think he's gonna hit a three in a regular season game this year? Ooh, that's a tough one. I feel like now the narrative is he has to at least attempt it. So I think yeah, I think he will. Yeah. Dude, guess I'm gonna say yes. I've as hit well. I've hit wait, a three wait, before. Make one or attempt I mean, one. I mean, maybe not in an NBA make game, one, but like one. I've done it before. I'm not even a professional. I suck at basketball. Yeah. He can do it. Like, it's just ridiculous how uh, his record to this point. I'm going to say no, that he doesn't make one. I'll say he attempts more than one, but I'm going to say he doesn't make one. <laughs> I don't think I want him to make one, but I, I do agree with Ben that it, now that he's made one in the preseason, he's going to try it more, and eventually it's going to fall, right? Yes, I think so. so. Although, that's an interesting bet. What's Vegas put the odds at? <laughs> I, I don't know. That's a good one. Might need to look into that. Um, so, all right, let's uh, wrap up the season preview by telling us who we expect to see in the playoffs and ultimately in the NBA Finals. So let's start off with the Eastern Conference going through our one through eight. So, Ben, why don't you start oh, us off? Okay, well, I removed the Pelicans because they're not in this conference, but um, okay. at the top, I forgot about the that. Bucks, uh, because... I I mean it's really one A one B for me between them and the Seventy Sixers, uh, but I I do like Giannis a lot, so I'm gonna go ahead and put the Bucks at number one, the Seventy Sixers at two, I've got the Raptors at three, and the Celtics at four. I, I have a similar feeling with them. It's like neck and neck. We're gonna have to see how the season plays out. Uh, I've got the Nets at five, and that is on the assumption that Durant doesn't come back um, at all. And then at six, I've got the Magic, which um, I like Aaron Gordon. I watched a lot of Aaron Gordon YouTube videos <laughs> this offseason. And um, and I, I think that they're an intriguing team. Obviously, they made the playoffs last year. Um, and then I've got J- Miami Jimmy and the Heat coming in at number seven. And then sneaking in at eight is the Pacers. And for when I, when I put them at eight, it was on the assumption that Oladipo was a little bit further out. Um, obviously, there's the potential for them to bump up a few spots should he come back sooner. All right, uh, I'll go next for the East, uh, one through eight. First, I have the Bucks, uh, but I don't think it's one A and one B. I think they're going to win the, the East by a lot, but I'll still have number two, the 76ers. Number three, I have the Celtics. Number four, I have I actually have the Pacers uh, and hoping that Oladipo comes back sooner rather than later. Uh, number five, I have the Raptors. Even without Kawhi Leonard, I still think they're a pretty good team. Just won't go any further than that. Number six, I have the Nets and hoping, I'll admit this is just hoping that the Celtics and Nets meet in the playoffs and, you know, just troll Kyrie while he uh, ends up losing the Celtics and just, just hopeful of that. Uh, this, number seven, I have the Miami Heat. And number eight, I have the Orlando Magic. All right. So there's definitely a lot of similarities in the three of ours list. So I'll wrap us up in the East. Uh, Number one, I also have the Milwaukee Bucks. Number two, the 76ers. I agree more with Brian that I do think there's a a bigger separation between these two teams. Uh, But I certainly have both of them as one and two. Number three, I'm going with the Pacers. I'm really excited to see Oladipo back and uh, some of the other pieces they added. I think they'll be pretty solid this year. Four, I have the Boston Celtics taking on their old friend Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets as a five seed, also on the assumption no Durant. Number six, I go with the defending East champs, the Toronto Raptors. I think they'll still be competitive, but uh, they're definitely going to see a bit of a drop off with no Kawhi Leonard and no Danny Green. At 
seven, Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. Uh, I I don't really know what else they have outside of him that I can rely on, so I, I just can't bump them up too far. But Tyler here has looked really good in the preseason, so if he can uh, continue that and maybe some of the other young guys can step up, Miami could be more of a threat. And that number eight, the Orlando Magic, they made the playoffs last year. I think they're more or less running it back, and we'll see if Marco Fultz, uh, he looks kind of decent this offseason if he's healthy, how he can contribute to that Magic team. All right, so Western Conference. Now it gets interesting. Yes. You want to go, Ben? I went first last time. Someone else go first. Okay. All right, oh. Brian, you can go first this time. All right. All right, so for number one, I have the Clippers. I think they're not only the uh, I think they're the best team I don't by far in the West. I mean, kind of like the Bucks in the East. Uh, number two, I'll go with the Lakers. I think Anthony Davis, the addition of Anthony Davis, is going to be huge for them this season. Number three, I will go with the Houston Rockets. I am low on them going deep into the playoffs, but in the regular season, I think they can still get fifty plus wins. Uh, at least 50 plus wins number four i have the jazz and number five i have the denver nuggets number six i have the golden state warriors i think that the warriors will dip a little bit in the regular season but i think hopefully getting clay back by near the end of the year uh and with how good curry and draymond are i think they can still uh, be a playoff team and maybe even go further number seven i have the trailblazers and then number eight, like we've talked about before, do I think Zion helps the Pelicans become a playoff team? I say yes, and I will have them as my uh, eight seed in the West. All right, Ben, you make me go now? Make you? <laughs> it's your choice. All right. All right. So, I, I, hey, I'll go ahead with my West standings. I do have uh, a little bold choice in here that we'll get to. Actually, a couple bold ones, starting with my number one seed, and that's the Denver Nuggets. Like I said, I think they're going to be a really good regular season team. They won 54 games last year. I think they improve upon that with uh, Jokic and Jamal Murray and some of the other pieces they have there like Will Barton and Torrey Craig. So I I just think that Denver, uh, with looking at some of the other teams, they're not the best, but they're going to find a way to that one seat. Number two, the team that I do think is the best in this conference, the LA Clippers. Paul George has some injury concerns starting the season. Uh, We won't see him until November. We saw Kawhi Leonard hampered by load management last season. I expect that to continue this year, and that's why I'm dropping the Clippers down to the two line. Number three, Houston Rockets. James Harden, Russell Westbrook, they're going to win enough games to be competitive up at the, the top of this conference and in that three slot. Number four, the Utah Jazz. I love the Jazz uh, and that this season, I think that there there might be some some hiccups here and there. I do question a little bit their all of their ability to stay healthy, which is why I'm dropping them down to the four. But I do like their chances uh, when they get to the playoffs. Number five, I'm going with the Portland Trailblazers. Now, I think that the Trailblazers, after making the West Conference Finals, are going to be a little more disappointing this year. But um, I still think that they'll be able to compete in this conference. And then at six the LA Lakers. I just don't trust Anthony Davis and LeBron James to be able to stay on the court together. I think when they're on the court together, they'll be really good, but both of them are coming off injury plague seasons. And this is my bold prediction of the year is that the Lakers are only a six seed and don't make it out of the first round. Yeah. Wow. So Seven. I, that oh, is bold. I was just going to say like, I have bold predictions. It's just in terms of the seeding. 
I don't really have bold predictions. Yeah, but, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean that that's that's one right there. And then seven going with the Warriors. Like I said, I, I don't know if I totally believe in their their uh, core and like all the chemistry that they'll have coming together, especially with no Clay Thompson. But I think they're talented enough to still be a playoff team. And then the eight seed, my New Orleans Pelicans, sneaking in thanks to Zion Williamson and company. Uh, all right. So mine is bold but it's mostly just because i believe in the idea of parity in the west i i'm really looking forward to having more parity uh with just a bunch of good teams um starting off at the top i like the clippers like number one clippers i think they're the best team and uh right behind them i've got the lakers at number two number three my i'm not downing them anymore pick is the portland uh trailblazers uh, then at number four, I've got the Nuggets, followed closely by the Jazz at five. And j- and again, it is a big like parody in the West. And also, I'm tired of seeing the same teams <laughs> do things uh, or be successful. The Rockets I have um, next up at six, um, right in front of the number seven Warriors, who will still make the playoffs, but they'll be in unfamiliar territory so far down in the standings. And at eight... I'm um, I'm just like a uh, a a 59 year old South Carolinian dude. I've got the Kings because I like Fox. Okay, uh, <laughs> and right. uh, and they're sliding right in there, barely at eight. Yeah, I, I think the Pelicans like getting in just ahead of Sacramento and San Antonio. Um, who the Spurs? They, I think that their their, their uh, postseason streak finally ends this year. And I was so tempted to pick the Spurs. <laughs> I yeah, was like, it's well, like it feels crazy. Yeah, twenty two years in a row. That's nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I think if they make it, they tie the record this year. So they have, they'll finish one short if they don't get in. But we'll see. I mean, it's hard to count out Coach Pop in that team. So. All right, so let's uh, finish things up with our conference finals and NBA finals picks. I have the Bucks over the Sixers in the East. I have the Clippers over the Jazz in the West, and I have Giannis Antetokounmpo in the Bucks getting revenge on Kawhi Leonard for their Eastern Conference Finals loss and winning the NBA Finals. So in the East, I have the same thing, the Bucks over the Sixers. The West, I have the Clippers over the Warriors. Uh, for bold predictions, I'm going to take, I don't know if they're, upsets i'm just banking on clay thompson coming back and the warriors will still be a dominant team uh i'm gonna say the six seed warriors beat the three seed rockets and the seven seed trailblazers beat the two seed lakers and damian lillard will clap back at Shaq on twitter or with some sort of rap (laughs) and be like yeah you can suck it (laughs) so i'm gonna say yeah, Clippers over the Warriors in the West Finals. And then the Finals, I will say the same thing as Corey. The, uh, Giannis gets his revenge over Kawhi, and the Bucks are NBA champions. Mine's boring. I've got the best teams in each conference. I've got the Clippers, uh, or sorry, the, uh, yeah, the Clippers over the Lakers in the West, the Bucks over the 76ers in the East. And then I've got Kawhi going back to back on different teams uh, to have the Clippers win the whole thing. All right, so we're all going Bucks Clippers, which means that uh, neither of them will even be playing in the NBA Finals. But <laughs> we'll uh, first round. We'll exits. definitely, yeah. We'll, we'll hey, you know, with the parity this year, we'll see. I mean, um, Corey, uh, but, but we predicted. Well, I predicted uh, the Lakers, and you predicted 
the Raptors for where Kawhi is going to go, and you end up going to the Clippers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe you're not wrong when you say that. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's. We'll we'll certainly be talking more NBA as the season goes on, but for now, let's wrap up today's show with our top five. And on uh, either Monday or Tuesday of this week, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced its list of Class of 2020 nominees. Uh, So those will be announced later this year. But in honor of that announcement coming out, we decided to count down our favorite current members who have already been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right. So, Brian, why don't you get us started? All right. Uh, so for my number five, I went with uh, Credence and Clearwater Revival. Uh, in terms of my favorite songs from Cle- Credence Clearwater Revival, uh, I like Have You Ever Seen the Rain? If you've never heard that song, it plays in the longest yard when they're playing in the drained out field football field that they practiced on in that movie. Uh, another song I like from him is fortunate son. Again, if you know that song, it's from uh, that song does play in Forrest Gump when him Forrest Gump and Bubba are uh, traveling to Vietnam. Another song I like. And then my favorite uh, is bad moon rising. If you look at the lyrics, it's a, it's sort of a depressing song, but it's, I, I think it's a very catchy tune and uh, something I play in my car my car a lot when i'm driving on driving on the back roads so i went with that so credence clearwater revival is my number five my number four i went with acdc um just such a great band and in terms of my personal favorite songs i like thunderstruck a lot uh back in black and uh, i've mentioned this Corey before if you haven't heard the the mashup of back in black and Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. It's probably the greatest mashup of all time I've ever heard. And it will, will change your life. And so I went with... so I went with, And then Highway to Hell is my personal favorite song from ACDC. So I went with that as my number four. My number three, I went with Elton John. And my personal favorite songs are Tiny Dancer, uh, Your Song. And not only my favorite Elton John song, but one of my favorite songs in general. I really liked Rocket Man. Uh, and the movie, however, I did not like it all. If you ever, if you haven't seen, have you yeah, seen? I never actually saw it. Yeah. I wanted to so see it. I did like Bohemian Rhapsody, the Queen movie, and I'll get to that later. But the Elton John's uh, movie, Rocket Man, was, in my opinion, I did not care for it whatsoever, and just that was very rushed, very a crin- very cringy movie. Just the only thing I really learned from it was that Elton John did every drug in the dictionary but other than that i didn't really learn much just uh, to get my like movie opinion in the i'm not a big fan of these movie like bio or sorry these band biopics because they're slightly problematic in that they are they have a narrative they're a movie they're not a documentary so when you're watching them and you're like oh i didn't know that such such and such happened they don't tell you when they've made changes to make the movie more interesting and flow better. Um, so it can lead you to drawing conclusions that aren't true. Um, and that's, that goes across all biopics mm-hmm. and all, you know, if it's not a documentary, if it's not 
claiming to be 100% factual. It's just tough to know what they're actually doing. I don't know how accurate the Elton John movie is, but I know the Queen movie took a lot of creative liberties with the history of the band yeah. to make the movie mm -hmm. more entertaining. And that's the point of a movie. But if you don't actually know the history of the band, you might come away with thinking you know the history of a band when really you just know the, the narrative of a movie. There are definitely some sports movies where I watch and and then all of a sudden when I Google what really happened with a certain athlete, uh, it, I find out that like, oh, this didn't happen or this didn't happen. And and then I kind of have sort of bad conclusions, but it's like I get it. Like they want to Hollywood the movie up a little bit and make it more interesting, more entertaining. So I totally just get it. Just something to consider when you're watching yeah, those biopics. That's true, right? yeah. I'm just saying that I did not like the movie, that's all. <laughs> and and or it was much worse than i thought it'd be and i was kind of surprised just the fact that elton john produced the movie himself so um hey maybe he should okay this is kind of harsh but like maybe no, he should ahead. stick go to ahead. music <laughs> 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 yeah so i went with El even though i didn't like the movie i did i do like some of his music especially the song rocket man so i went with elton john's my number three my number two i went with aerosmith uh, and then my personal favorites from that band is uh, I like Don't Want to Miss a Thing, which I know is a kind of a corny song, but I still enjoy it. And I like Sweet Emotion, Walk This Way. I even like the the Walk This Way version from Run DMC. Uh, and then my personal favorite song is from Aerosmith is Dream On. Uh, very motivational song and a song that I would even listen to before certain sporting events, whether it's watching a Boston team or um, when I was much younger and I'd listened to that song before a baseball game or a basketball game or a track event and so on. Uh, very motion, very motivational song and um, one I enjoyed. And so I went with Aerosmith as my number two. And then my number one, I went with Queen and uh, I, there's too many songs that I love from Queen and, uh, and, even though we talked about before with Ben just now, I still enjoyed the Bohemian Rhapsody movie, uh, everything about it. And my personal favorites, again, there's too many to list. Somebody to Love, We Will Rock You, We Are the Champions, Fat Bomb Girls, Killer Queen, Don't Stop Me Out, Don't Stop Me Now. It's There's a lot of songs that I like from Queen and uh, just a great band. So I went with Queen as my number one in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right, so uh, I'll go ahead with my top five now. And at number five, I have the Rolling Stones. And uh, this is like a really tough list for me because there were like so many bands that I kept trying to throw in here, bands and artists is my five, but I decided Rolling Stones is I'm going to go with. My favorite by them is Sympathy for the Devil, uh, but some honorable mentions. I'm also going to go with um, Start Me Up and Gimme Shelter. And at number four, I'm going with Elton John, which we talked a ton about him already. I don't need to go into too much more detail. Songs are basically the same as Brian. My favorite by him is actually your song, uh, but honorable mentions that I've loved for a long time, of course, Tiny Dancer and Rocket Man. Number three, I'm going with the Eagles. And like Chris Berman, my favorite song by them is Take It Easy. Uh, I'll also give some shout outs to Desperado, Tequila Sunrise, and a song that I believe is one of the greatest ever composed, Hotel California. At number two, Bob Seger, and I know that I've talked about him in the past on the top five. I think in our favorite people from Michigan, Ben and I both had him in our list. 
uh, and he he's certainly one of my favorite uh, musicians of all time. Uh, big fan of his um, greatest hits album, but I guess just to pick a few, my favorite is Hollywood Nights, and of course, I gotta shout out Turn the Page, one of his more popular songs. We've got Tonight is up there as well, and then uh, Night Moves and Downtown Train, and then number one, going with the boss, Bruce Springsteen, my number one rock and roll Hall of Famer. Uh, so many great songs to choose from. My favorite, I, I decided to go with Dancing in the Dark, but there's so many I can throw out here, like uh, Born to Run, Born in the USA, Streets of Philadelphia, Spirit in the Night, um, Glory Days. So I've, I've been become a big Bruce Springsteen fan in recent years, and uh, he, he makes a list at my number one. I, if we did top 10, I probably would have Bruce Springsteen in it, but unfortunately I couldn't put him that high. But I... My favorite songs from Bruce Springsteen, I'd probably say, I mean, the ones that you just mentioned, I'd probably say my personal favorite is Born to Run and then Dancing in the Dark. Uh, yeah, there was like, I always go back and forth with yeah. them, but Dancing in the Dark is my, my favorite right now, I think. Yeah, and while we're adding Corey's list to our own list, I would definitely tack Bob Seger onto mine, but only a top yeah. five, <laughs> so there's only five spots. Like, I know. That's the, that's yeah. the thing. There's two, there's a... Like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is obviously the Hall of Fame for a reason. There's all there's so many amazing artists and bands in there. Should we have Should we have just done like t- bottom five, or we, the worst five, <laughs> the top five that shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame? We uh we could have done a whole episode on just amazing Hall of Famers, but yeah. I'll try to keep it brief. Moving into my top five list at number five, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Um, mo- honestly, I had to include him just because I saw Tom Petty live, and even when he was like at death's door, he was amazing, like a true rock star, even in his old age. Uh, so I had to throw him in at number five because there's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he is a he was a rock star, Tom Petty. Um, and those Heartbreakers are pretty good too. Uh, moving on to number four, the Eagles. They're already on Corey's list, but they've got so many iconic songs. Hotel California, Take It Easy. Like they are one of the most successful bands of all time. So it's an obvious choice for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, moving on to my number three, I've got the Beatles. Again, limit like there's a huge list of, of giant hits that everybody knows from the Beatles, from Hey Jude, Here Comes the Sun, Let It Be. Like it, There's so many songs. And again, it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They are like one of the most influential like rock bands. You could argue they're a boy band, but if, for, for my purposes, they're, they're a rock band, and they're just one of the most iconic ever. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you put them on your list because Brian and I both left them off, and it feels like it would be wrong to not have them. I'm not even like... <laughs> The biggest be, Beatles be. fan because yeah. there are definitely <laughs> yeah. like growing up I definitely went or uh, experienced a little bit of the Beatles gatekeeping where people are like oh dude you you like you're not a real Beatles fan like you're a casual Beatles fan mm-hmm. just because you've heard all their songs on the radio doesn't mean you actually like the Beatles it's like okay whatever you can keep the Beatles but the, you can't I mean they're one of the most iconic rock bands of all time. I mean I like them a lot too but like it's like what we've, we've been saying like we can only pick five so yeah yeah. exactly so no disrespect to any bands that are in the hall of fame that aren't on this list um then number two like you uh, heard on brian's list credence clearwater revival or ccr they're uh what they're one of my personal favorite bands um they have such an uh, like unique sound that um you can instantly tell it's a ccr song when it's playing and i really love them um it, my Looking Out My Back Door is one of my favorites. It's such a simple song about the simple pleasures of sitting on your back 
porch and getting home from a trip and just being home. And I love that. So CCR, my number two. And coming in at number one, Queen. Queen's music just transcends like the genre of rock. Like if you go to a sporting event and you hear instantly everyone's like, oh, we will rock you. Okay. That's like, imagine writing that song. Imagine being like, hey, like lads, like we just wrote this song and it's going to be appropriate for every major sporting event for the rest of time. Like that. And that's just one song. And we have so many. Uh, so I didn't even, I didn't even mention Bohemian Rhapsody. I just mentioned the movie at one point. I didn't even mention the song. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I forgot. And yeah, I mean, obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody is also one of those songs where it's like, how does this song even exist? Like, this is crazy. This is so different from everything else. And there, there, I mean, there's a video of um, a Green Day concert where the entire uh, the entire place is instead of singing a Green Day, Green Day song, they're singing the song Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, even when they're like, even when one their singer is dead and the other three guys aren't even there they're still uh they're still like a part of part of everyone's uh favorite music and yeah i mean wayne's world has a very iconic scene where basically all they're doing is singing bohemian rhapsody like it's you know so many road trips that i'm sure that you've been on where people they they play a song and everybody sings along because everybody knows it so for me they were the obvious that was the only easy choice i could i had to make in this was to put queen at number one for my top five rock and roll hall of fame so queen has so many great songs that i feel like are awesome sing-alongs you play them like when you're a big group of people whether it's like you said just at a sporting event a road trip at a party whatever but they don't have songs that i enjoy listening to myself so that's why i couldn't bring myself to put them in my top five but if we were just saying greatest rock bands of all time i think that they certainly belong in that discussion i do agree though that like a lot of their songs or most of their songs they're they're ones that you you should watch or you should listen to with big groups instead of they're fun to everyone to sing along there aren't yeah exactly there aren't probably many songs where it's just like by yourself yeah we are the champions would be a weird one to listen to by yourself (laughs) hey man if the niners win the super bowl i guarantee you i'm gonna be blasting that song a lot but that's it okay Uh, like we are the champions like what's a more iconic song to play when you win at something you know what i'm saying like queen it's just they existed at the perfect place in in time to like write these iconic songs that will just last forever you know and 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 i don't know if even some of the greater bands like it's hard to match that greatness that queen achieved and at least from my perspective so that's why they had have you have you guys seen the movie bohemian rhapsody I haven't. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Oh, all right. Well. All right. You know what? It's not too much of a spoiler, but. Oh, I don't care. It's okay. history. I can well, look it up the, on Wikipedia. In the, in the beginning, um, there are two guys from the the band Queen who are they haven't formed the band yet, uh, but the singer ends up quitting the band and ends up leaving, and all of a sudden Freddie Mercury, uh, you know, comes up to them and then asks if he can join. Like, I wonder what that singer is. The one who quit is thinking, like, is he thinking, like, wow, I just left the greatest rock band of all time? Or, like, wow, my decision was so stupid that I formed the greatest rock band ever. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be the latter because Queen isn't Queen without Freddie Mercury. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's, um, I don't know. They they just, they wrote these songs that are, I know I'm harping on this a lot, but it's just, 
the fact that they did it when they did it and then the cultural impact it's had and that resonates across generations to me is just so impressive. It reminds me of this other song by Foreigner uh, called Urgent. I don't know if you guys recognize the the name of that song, but basically the whole song is just about how like urgent their love is. And it just, they say the word urgent so many times and basically just focuses on this one idea of like the idea of urgency. And it's like, well, yeah, no one had written a song about that yet. You know, like they filled the void. Yeah. Now no one can write that song, but they got there first. So they got to write the song and it's a hit. So it's like Queen exists at the perfect time to write these iconic songs. And for that, for that they, they make the number one on my top five. Yeah, so I guess you know, just real quickly before we move on. Uh, so Creed and Clearwater Revival is a band that I, I like. I've heard their songs before, but I, they never really meant anything to me until recently but this summer i became a huge fan of them so I, I i was considering throwing them on my list i'm glad that you guys both did um have you ever seen the rain i think that's such a phenomenal song. yeah that would be that would be my number one by that bad moon rising is my go-to uh karaoke song because i know all the words really easily it's not that hard to sing and it's pretty short so yeah it's like it, two minutes but yeah it's still great nice it's a, but yeah but at the same time uh, at least i think it's a really good song right I mean, I put that I put that as my favorite song. So yeah, I would say the same thing. <laughs> All right. So that uh, that's gonna wrap up today's episode. So the the past two now we talked uh, baseball and hockey two weeks ago, and we talked basketball today. I imagine that we'll be kind of shifting back to NFL at least until uh, you know some of those start to pick up a little more we'll probably talk a little more playoff baseball at some point uh but you can probably look forward to an all nfl episode sometime uh, whether it's next week or the week after so uh any other final comments before we sign off today which one of your teams is going to lose first (laughs) it won't be the niners go niners (laughs) um i mean the niners they play the redskins next week and, and the Patriots play the Jets. So oh boy. Sam Darnold. Right? I, I mean, yeah, the Jets, they, they did look a lot better last week. I think they'll be a game, but I don't know who it was first, though. Uh, Niners. Just a spite then. That's it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know the Niners. You got to support your schedule, team, man. But, uh, yeah. The fact that we're yeah. undefeated at this point, even I didn't have that prediction. So uh, let's, keep this, let's keep this thing rolling. All right. So that'll do it for today. Uh, for Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells, I'm Corn Thanks for listening. Oh, 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 oh,